bad has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, today we have a returning guest, uh, Coach Ullery, uh, over at Centerville High School here in Ohio. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No problem, Coach. Uh, kind of before we get started, I mean, you you guys had a pretty good season. Um, as, as we joked before we came on, it lost the Springfield, as most people do at the, at the end. But um, overall, yeah. how's the season? How did everything go for you guys? It was good. It was good. You know, we didn't just lose to Springfield. We lost to Springfield twice, which, you know, hurts double. Um, but, you know, overall, very pleased with our kids and very pleased with our coaches and everything and, and all they did. And, you know, they battled through a lot and um, they found ways to win some really tough games and everything. And, you know, I, I told them all at the banquet last week, I said, you know, the, the program definitely took a step forward. It didn't end how we wanted it to end. You know, you want to keep playing always, but you know, the, the program took a step forward. And when you zoom out, uh, you know, a legacy was left by this senior class. So we're really happy for him. Could you, what year did you just finish? Uh, I think my sixth. Yeah, it started in 2017. So this is my sixth season. Yeah. So, I mean, just out of curiosity, from year one to year six, um, how how have you evolved how you approach things? Um, that's a good question. I actually answered that question the other day. I was talking to someone about it just kind of in conversation, but you know, in, I think in year one, I probably thought I had, I was doing more than I actually was. You know, I thought that probably I was reinventing some kind of wheel with offensive coordinating and managing games and, you know, tweaking practices to be super innovative and all these things. And, you know, you, I really wasn't. Um, you know, and now in year six, I would say I'm much more zoomed out. I see much more big picture. Um, it's much more about getting the right people in the right places versus trying to micromanage everything and do everything the way I want it. Just get the right people in. And, you know, uh, like they said, like you, you get a good hunting dog, let them go hunt. You know, you don't follow them around, you know? So I, I would say I do a lot more of that now where you just kind of make sure, the right people are in the right place driving the correct vision and just let them go. And I'm much more hands-off than I was in year one. Year one, I probably had to control every minute detail. And now it's like, I got good people, let them go do a good job. And that's it. And see what we get. Okay. Now, I mean, also from that, I mean, we, and we talked a little bit about it last time is how you morphed your offense um, and the school has morphed its identity over the past two decades essentially how it like and I, I know you continue to morph your offense this year but how have you, how has your vision on offense changed and how much is that is based off the personnel you have and also part of it is just how much of that is just learning on the job yeah I mean this year especially that's like a super loaded question with you know incredible involvement answers um but we started the year uh, with a new quarterback, Drake Wells, um, you know, he's 
he's a like a hybrid pocket passer, mobile quarterback, um, does a really good job throwing the ball, can burn you with his legs, but um, he's not just glued into either role. So we were kind of growing into him. And is he a five wide guy? Is he a three by one guy? Is he a rub route guy or a middle seam guy? You know, all those things. Um, and where we really found a groove with him was being empty and being in, in RPO situations. And he started to really kind of blossom. And it was like, oh my gosh, this kid's going to take off. Here we go. And then all of a sudden a fluke tackle and he breaks a collarbone, you know, in his non-throwing arm. And so it's like, okay, well, we got to figure this out now because the other quarterbacks are not him. Um, so we had a couple backups in and what we found was we went with this young kid named Braylon Newcomb, who's, you know, he's a shorter quarterback, but he he's not as short as people think. Um, but he is much better at running the ball. And he's when he's a bigger threat to just tuck it and run it, now teams are defending us a little bit differently. So we found a lot of uh a lot of answers in just going with two tight end sets all over the field. And we were unbalanced and we'd be in a three by two with two tight ends into the boundary and all this stuff. And we and we found ways to get uh other athletes on the field, like Reggie Powers is, you know, a hybrid running back safety. Um, that can you know torch people in the open field so like now you put him out there and start saying go go defend Reggie Powers and Nick Bruder and Jamar Montgomery and all these guys that can really fly and really take care of the ball and then by the way we have a quarterback behind him with two tight ends able to block for him it, it's a nightmare it, it was a lot for some teams to to figure out and you know the hard part for us was just figuring out what we did best and we kind of like dialed into that a little bit towards the end of the season um, switched a little bit more away from the zone concepts and went a little bit more towards our gap concepts. Um, but those two tight ends, like, it's just, it was awesome to watch, you know, a year ago at this time, we were stuck in five wide and just saying, Chase Harrison, drop back, figure it out. I don't even care. Yeah. Like there was times when Chase Harrison was just calling the plays on the field as the game was going on. And now it's like, okay, Braylon, we're going to call a play, but you can kind of do whatever you want. You want to give it, give it. You want to pull it and follow these tight ends, do your thing. And it ended up being really cool. And it ended up like making us a better offense and a better coaching staff. Um, and it really made us more diverse because going into this off season, we've got a lot that we can kind of hone in on and say, we're going to be this type of team or we can do this with this guy and so on and so forth. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, like to build off that, like, I mean, whether it's being a new program or like a situation where you lost a, a decent amount of, I mean, you lost a, a really good quarterback last year and mm -hmm. some other talent when you're transit making that big talent transition. And you mentioned, you kind of found your way as the season went on that, especially after injuries. How do you find that way? Like on what you need to do? Like, I, I know that's like the hard, like, test question but like i mean i dealt with that the past few years with injuries and our stuff as well like how do you mm -hmm. find that okay this is what we are yeah well i think a lot of trial and error um i remember our first week going in with a new quarterback uh we took the old quarterback's call sheet and we kept it and we started to whittle and when we started whittling down we saw like oh, we don't have a lot left like there's not much here that this kid is able to execute very well. And you just have to listen to them. I think like, you just have to ask them, like, can you run this? Like, I know this is a good play, but can you run it? Can you execute this? Can you three-step hitch and rip 
and, and throw the ball over the middle. And like when the kid tells you, coach, I can't see. Like our linemen are big, their linemen are big. I'm just guessing like, okay, that's fine. Throw it out, you know, and you kind of have to figure out like, okay, what is he saying he can do really well? Well, he likes to be on the move. He likes to read things and he likes to just not think and go. So it's like, okay, well, we can do that with this kid. We can put him on the move. We can sprint him out. We can do different things. Like we, we upped our trick plays just to keep teams honest and from teeing off on us. And then we started saying, okay, man, like if you want to throw the ball out here to this, you know, now screen bubble screen looking thing, go ahead and do that. Otherwise you can tuck and run. And we've got a, a loaded, uh, you know, seven man box to, to, to rock out against, you know, and we got seven guys blocking for you. So um, I don't know. It's, it's all about kind of listening to them in my opinion. And what we really did is we listened to our coaches a lot, specifically our quarterback coach and everything and just saying like, this is what he's practicing and doing well. We should probably be doing these type of things. Okay. If we want to move the ball and be consistent. So, you know, we didn't really, I won't say I did a whole lot. I did a lot of listening. I didn't do a lot of like commanding, but the kid was verbal and, and, and helped out and his coaches helped out. And, you know, when you get start to get that in line with what your O-line and your tight end coaches are saying, all of a sudden you've got a pretty good package that the kid can execute on. And then you can get creative with the type of screens, the personnel, the formations, the motions, stuff like that. And that's where, that's where we got a little creative and a little bit of window dressing, but mostly it was just counter and, and screens and let the kid go and do his thing. And when we would drop him back, we dropped him back knowing well that he couldn't see and he was going to take off and go create. And it ended up winning us a game. So it was fun. It was fun. But I think just the biggest thing for evolving is just listening to the kids and just being willing to let your plan fit them rather than make them fit your plan. Yeah. Now I noticed there you didn't mention your receivers coach at all. So I look forward to that. Text I didn't mention what? Your receivers coach at all. So <laughs> I'll look forward to that text message in, in the few months when this posts. Um. Hey, you know what, though? Our receiver coach is probably the one that influenced the most into the beginning stages of the involvement in our running game. Like, he he loves those jet sweeps. He loves the getting them on the move. He is all about the, hey, just put put my guys over here on a now screen. Take this guy, isolate him to the field. We got this. This guy can run a fade. He's good. Like, and then let's let's run against this box. You know, you get two safeties, let's run it. You get one safety, let's rip it. And he was he was a good sport. I know he wants to be five wide and air it out and be <laughs> the, the Mike Leach pirate down at uh, Mississippi State. But this year he did a good job playing his role. Now, uh, you also mentioned trick plays keep it honest. What do you mean by a trick plays keep it honest? Is it just you, you you have one or two a game? Do you run more than that? Like, what what is your – when you say trick plays keep them honest, what are you specifying there? Um, You know, I haven't done the analysis yet, but I would guess in 13 games we probably ran 25 trick plays uh, on the season. Um, and anything from just a simple reverse – to a reverse pass, you know, halfback pass, speed options, the old school stuff. Um, against Springfield, we ran a hook and ladder. Um, you know, we ran a speed option throwback screen to the quarterback. Like, uh, I forget who ran it, Arizona or Arizona State or Oregon. I think it was Oregon, maybe. Um, but, you know, we just get ideas from whatever we see. 
on you know tv college football whatever and if it fits within our scheme and it's a little wrinkle we'll, we'll back pocket it until there's a team that we can use it against and the kids like practicing it and everything it's a lot of fun we have a little i don't know 10 12 minute period each week we practice our trick plays and then what happens is you get a lot less chasing from the backside on screens you get a lot less you know fast fill on power and everything um just because the reverse could be coming or the reverse tight end pop pass could be coming or something like that. So I won't say we were like super innovative. We didn't like make up our own ton of trick plays, but we ran a bunch and said, go ahead and defend them. And like, we had a kid uh, named Nick Bruder that everyone in the world knew when he was in the backfield, something was going to happen, but we made sure that every time he was in the backfield, something different happened. And whether it was, a, you know, a speed option fake to him and, whatever or we just motioned him out and run double moves but it, it was fun like with the trick plays were a lot of fun and and they now have a section in our playbook and we'll come back to them again in the future for sure now there i mean two other things on there is uh we we mentioned the dreaded uh well off screen we talked about the dreaded recruiting cycle um mm -hmm. that is the is the the good and bad parts about our jobs um mm -hmm. But from a from a head coach perspective, especially at a larger school, how do you go through go throughout the process of preparing? Because obviously, about right now, give or take, is when and we talked about this is is when you get the mass exodus coming through your building of okay, I need to talk to this kid or I need to talk to that kid or uh, whatever. And you have college coaches reach out, when can I come up, come and or what is this kid thinking, blah, blah. So how do you prepare, obviously, on especially such short notice, on prepping for the recruiting cycle and making sure everything's ready so your kids can get the looks they need? Yeah, I don't think this day and age, I don't think you're allowed to not be great at the recruiting cycle. And I won't say that I'm great yet, that we've perfected it at Centerville by any means yet. You know, we're always becoming, but um, – we're definitely going to try to be great and we're definitely going to do everything we can to use our platform. We have an incredible platform to get kids recruited on um, and we're going to maximize what we do for them. So, you know, like when these coaches start texting and start emailing and saying, we're coming in, um, I keep a, a Google sheet and I say like, like it's all our prospects on it and all their information, Twitter handles and cell phones and highlights and all that stuff. Right. And uh, I keep all that and I keep the, uh, all their transcripts on my phone. Uh, they're unofficials, of course, but I keep all that stuff accessible. And whenever a coach says, hey, I'm going to come in tomorrow at 915, it's like, okay, great. I'll see you then. Here's our prospect sheet, um, you know, based off the school and their needs and a couple more texts, find out like who who they're interested in or what they're interested in and then direct them like, here's the prospect sheet. Check out uh, person one, six and 11. I think they're going to be your best fits. Um, and then once they arrive, they say, yeah, I liked one and 11, you know, like, let's talk about those guys. And, and those are quick, you know, messages we can send back and forth and everything and kind of keep the process going efficiently, because I think they, the coaches appreciate efficiency as much as the kids in the school appreciate efficiency when those college coaches come in. So we just want to make sure that we're putting our kids in front of as many coaches as possible, getting them as much exposure as possible and, you know, being at Centerville we're very fortunate the people before us kind of laid the groundwork of like, we're going to get over a hundred colleges in, in every cycle. And like, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's gonna be a lot of work. Um, but the kids are going to go through that process and 
you know, as long as they keep up their end of the bargain in the classroom with their teachers, um, then it's not going to be any, any issue for the kid coming out of class or talking to me or whatever um, when the college recruiters come through. So it, it's a lot of work, but it, it's definitely worth it. You know, when the recruiting cycle ends, it's kind of like a season ending. You feel like, oh, like exhausted and, and everything, but it's been fun and you reflect on it. And usually there's a great body of work with, you know, kids getting offers and opportunities uh, all over the place to, to go chase their dreams. So it makes it all worth it. Now, my, my next question is, I mean, we, we talked off screen, like you literally just got done with your banquet last over the past week, Thanksgiving just ended um, and, and recruiting cycles beginning. So at what point do you start the off season process of obviously evaluating your schemes, evaluating your coaches, figuring out who's coming back, who's not um, posting, like put the whole, the whole process that is not fun, but fun at the same time, like the, the X and O's and the evaluations process is the fun part. The, Staffing part can be annoying depending on the situation. So how did you, how and when do you kind of start looking at that process of evaluating everything and starting at the offseason juncture? Yeah, I mean, I told our coaches like I don't I don't make our coaches speak on almost anything at the banquet. They don't have to prep anything. They can show up and just, you know, give hugs and take pictures and all that stuff that the players and parents want to do. Um, so I, cause I wanted their break to start faster after the season ends. So once equipment turn in happens, I want them to feel like they're, they're good. Um, so they get to relax a little bit more and that's okay. Um, but you know, sometime over winter break, we'll probably start, we'll have a, a keep, stop, start staff meeting where it'll just be an open forum. I won't go in with any agenda at all. Um, I'll probably unveil the calendar to them at that point and say, here's the calendar, but it's not set in stone. What do you guys think? What, what do you guys think uh, in our program we should keep doing? What should we uh, stop doing? What should we start doing kind of thing? And we hear each other out. Um, and I just tell them my job is to, you know, weigh the options and figure out what's best and, and, and go from there. And we're all going to be on board, but everyone's going to be heard. Um, and that's going to happen over winter break. Now, in the past, we've started lifting over winter break. Um, we're not starting that this year or we're, we're not even going to start lifting until the second week back in January, just because I want our coaches getting away. I want our kids getting away. Uh, selfishly, I probably need to get away and, and spend some more family time and everything over the holidays and just, you know, recenter that, that part of my life. Um, but when we get back into it, I want everybody fresh and hungry to get better and everything. So, you know, that'll be after uh, the national champ college football national championship NFL will be winding down and we'll just be getting started uh, for the next season. So we won't start anything till then. And then around that time is when uh, our defensive staff and offensive staff separately will begin, you know, uh, end of season analysis, you know, playbook uh, review. Like this year, we're going to rewrite all of our middle school and freshman playbooks Um and everything and you know if we have staffing needs we'll address them then um and, and going forward but i found that with staffing like i used to think like got to get them in and get them going and let's like if it happens in january we got to have a new hire by january the next day and all this stuff and like now it's it's like hey you know we'll find the right fit and if we can't find the right fit we won't find anyone at all we'll make it work um so i don't really sweat the staffing part as much as i really care about just get the kids in and get them going and get them hungry again and get them, get them working out the right way. Um, but we kind of saw that our season was a little bit longer and we were pretty worn out and beat up at the end. So 
what we're going to do is just bump everything back and say the expectation is for us for our season to be longer. We're going to train the same amount of time. We're just going to start a little bit later and try to peak a little bit later as well. So we'll start everything a little bit later. And I know there's some coaches out there that are going to completely disagree with me and say, nope, 28 days afterwards, let's get after it. OHSA says, let's go, let's go. So, um, you know, to each their own, but I just am currently subscribing to the let's, let's check out rewind or unwind and uh, recharge our batteries for now. Well, it's, it's also hard to go by what OHSA says because it, there's a change every year. So you never know what the, <laughs> the change is going to be. And you won't know that till like March and it'll be a change that goes in effect like May. So mm-hmm. that is what that is. Um, yeah. Just roll with it. Now you mentioned earlier practice schedule. Like last time we talked practice a little bit um, in terms of just overall, like, okay, this is how you handle O and D and especially like, here's the one way players. Here's the two way players here, how that whole system works. But like more specifically, especially mm-hmm. since you run the offense, how, and and you kind of said you're you kind of figured out how to make stuff work after six years of kind of trial and error. I mm-hmm. mean, how how, how like kind of what does a standard offensive practice at this point look like for you? Um, it's it's pretty broken up into um, its own pieces. You know, we have like obviously we have inside run like everybody has, you know, and our inside run for us has a focus on 12 personnel. Okay. So we're going to get all of our tight ends in during inside run and we're going to roll with the offensive line. The the running back is over there. Our quarterback isn't always over there because they'll be doing like something like routes on air or whatever. Um, But we'll have that period. We're a heavy screen team. So we do have a screen period uh, every week, if not twice a week. Um, where we're going to go eight to 12 minutes of just nonstop screens um, and kind of add that piece to the puzzle. So what it, it leaves us with is when we go to, when we do things like that, we go to team and you don't have to get in 12 personnel the entire time and just beat up all your scout guys. Cause nobody wants to do that. Um, and we don't have to practice our screens during team and make weight on our linemen to run downfield and run back and everything like that. So in our team period, we can practice tempo, we can practice game execution, we can talk more about this is how they're going to line up. You know, if they do this, we're going to do this kind of scenario stuff. Um, and, and we'll do a, a solid, you know, 15 to 20 minute team session each day. Uh but we like to break up our offense primarily um, through other small periods, you know, like we're not going to practice double moves uh, in a team session. There's no sense in our offensive line kick setting while we run, uh, you know, stutter go or something like that. Like we can just rip off 50 of them um, in a routes on air period while our O line does blitz pickup. And it's going to be a lot more effective because they can see more blitzes and we get more reps of throwing, uh, you know, whatever routes we're going to throw. So we like to break it up. Um, One of the things we did come across this year that I really liked and our kids seemed to like it as well too, was we did a, uh, like a five man protection drill, but we threw every blitz under the sun and we ran air raid concepts behind it with no one covering it. So, you know, we'd have like a six or seven man box and be running shallow and mesh and cross and uh, you know, Utah routes and stuff and only giving pressure and getting the ball out and the O-linemen loved it because they know what's coming every time. It's a five-man protection. They just have to figure it out. The receivers love it because they just get in line and run route, 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 route. And the quarterbacks love it because they just got to avoid and get rid of the ball to the correct guy. So that was probably our most extensive thing we did in team periods. But 
you know, we would, we would steal team time and run trick plays and we would steal team time and let the kids screw around and whatever, um, you know, try to keep it light, but we're a big part to whole team. And, you know, some of our stuff, we don't run as a whole team until Friday night. And and that's okay. Cause the pieces are all practicing independently. Okay. Now, actually I want, before I get to my final question, I have one more other, and I just thought of it off the top of my head. What is like, cause I'm always curious on how coaches handle, what does a typical pregame look like for you in terms of for the kids and your schedule wise? Mm-hmm. Pre-game, yeah, um, we'll do a home game, so there's no bus ride, but, like, the kids have to be there at 4. We have 4 o'clock walkthrough. Um, it's a quick walkthrough. It only takes about 8 minutes. Um, it's all special teams, a quick defensive thing. We we do a quick offensive thing, and um, then they're turned loose to their uh, team dinner. They have a team meal. It's usually on the stands or in the locker room. Um, we eat, and, you know, by 5.15, 5.20, somewhere around there, um we'll do a band routine so they have a band routine where they put the bands around their feet and they do ankles and hamstrings and hips and quads and all that stuff and that's their warm-up for the night um they they told me uh, about five years ago that they hated doing like dynamic stretches and all this stuff in pregame so I said all right well I'll make a deal with you you do this band routine we'll stop doing that stuff um, they said, okay. I was like, you got to take it serious. And they did, they do a great job. They put their headphones in, they crank it out, they get sweaty and they get loose. Um, we haven't had any real injuries, any soft tissue injuries since we've been doing it anyways. I don't, I know our sample size is small, but, um, you know, five years is pretty good for doing it. Uh, but they will do that band routine and then they go in the locker room and they, there's a schedule on the wall and they come out in their waves and, you know, the kickers will come out, the quarterbacks, receivers, et cetera. And they just get moving. Um, and we just try to make it as fast as humanly possible. So like the longest period we have in pregame is nine minutes and that's just the uh, kickers. Um, but everything else is like, boom, 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 boom. Um, get out there, get your reps, get sweaty, get in the groove, come back in, get your pads on, go back out, hit, 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 three plays of this, get out, uh, catch a punt and do a coin toss. So we try to make it like as, as fast and efficient as possible. So it's like practice. We don't want them like warming up and sitting around or anything like that. So um, pregame is, we, we were always fine tuning it, but we don't do any of that like stretching and dynamic stuff. Like we used to do back when, you know, you and I were playing. Oh yeah. That, 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 that was the whole process. And I think, I think a lot of schools are starting to get away from the old school dynamic. I mean, like we didn't do a true dynamic this year at all. We did, we did, mm-hmm. I, I, I did more, I mean, just kind of what our pre-practice warm-up was almost than it was a true dynamic this year. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any soft tissue, major soft tissue injuries. Now, broken bones, on the other hand, I've had those like crazy this year, but that's <laughs> that's our school. So Yeah. I mean, look at like basketball teams. Basketball teams don't do all that stuff, and they go out and they, they, they're all over the place. They're agile. They're athletic. They're fast. They don't do all those stretches. They go out and they get in layup lines and they do their jump shot, whatever, and defensive drills, and they go. Like, why wouldn't we – why are we any different? You know, we're not. It's just a human body. So we go out and do it. And, you know, I took Chad Grandstaff's uh, suggestion from Zanesville. He got rid of all that stuff and added in agility circuits. So I was like, man, I hate stretching. I love agility circuits. Yep, that's what we're doing. And our kids started to, you know, not like them towards the end of the season. We did them at the beginning of each practice. 
but we found ways to be creative and say like, okay, some days are they're going to be agile bags and you're going to get after it. And some days we're going to do quarter Eagles and up downs and boom, get out. You got three reps and you're done, you know, and we, we made it light and fun and fast and the kids rallied around it. Um, I don't see us bringing str- like old school stretch lines. I don't see us bringing that back anytime soon. No, I don't, I don't think there's a need. And I think more and more data and more and more strength coaches are showing you don't need them. Um, mm-hmm. And then my last question for you, because we talked about it briefly and we said you would talk about a little bit more this year is Utah. Um, kind of, I mean, for, pe- for people that don't know what Utah is, what is Utah? And then how do you try to teach it from year to year? Yeah, I mean, truth be told, I learned Utah um, from my old head coach at Dublin Kaufman, Mark Crabtree. I learned about it before I knew what Air Raid was before I knew who Urban Meyer was, before I knew what mesh was or anything. I just knew this was like, oh, a Utah route. And like the universal signal of, of Utah was like this or something like that. <laughs> and like we changed the name of it at Dublin and then we still use this. So I think it's a phenomenal play. It's obviously, it's it's like mesh return, right? Like it's mesh without the crossers. As they get ready to cross, they pivot back out, right? And the way that I learned it, um, was it's best out of three by one or out of empty. And our read goes front side return route, backside return route to dig route. And if there's ever pre-snap pressure, we, we attack the pressure. So, you know, if you're going to bring pressure from our backside, then we're going to flip our read and go back front dig. Um, but that's how I learned it. We have a pre-snap uh, read as well. Um, we haven't been exceptionally great at hitting it. We do, we do it a lot in practice, but you know, it's tough to get a quarterback to throw that 12 yard field out, um, in a game with confidence. So we haven't really hit that. Um, but one thing we, we've, we like a lot is we like the, uh, we like the shoot and go or the, the wheel, the rail route, whatever people want to call it, um, as a little like tweak to it. Uh, we've hit that quite a bit and at least keeps teams honest. Like, okay, we got to stay back on this thing. We can't just see the X receiver go under and just chase him. Um, otherwise you're going to leave one of our really fast running backs manned up on, on your will linebacker. Um, but yeah, we, we, we just, we taught it the last couple years in conjunction with mesh, but I've used it many years uh, in in the air raid offense, spread offense without having mesh installed at all, you know, and just say, attack the pressure front side, backside to the dig window and a lot of good stuff. And the best part about it is really like it goes front side, backside dig, but it really should go front side, backside, step up with the intent to run and throw the dig if it's there, you know, like, cause that's going to be your second hitch is that dig window. Um, so you might as well attack it and make them attack you. And if they don't attack you, just take off. We've got, you know, phenomenal, uh, mobile quarterbacks, you know, Drake Wells and Braylon Newcomb are very mobile, go run. And if they want to cover things, let them cover things. So, you know, I, I don't know. Mesh, a uh, mesh is very air raid. I don't know that I, I, I agree that Utah is air raid. I think Utah can be, uh, very, uh, versatile in any offense. You know, I've seen triple option offenses run Utah before. It's a great play. Now, well, coaches, uh, give Coach a follow. His Twitter will be below. Um, I'll probably put the link to the other podcasts on there. So if you want to hear our other conversations and um, that we've had before, um, obviously his DC has a bunch of stuff on my channel as well. 
Um, and then like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. Check out Coach Pad. Um, and then that's another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.